I want to look specifically at something else. Today, we're going to be talking about presence over performance. Somebody say presence over performance. Oh my goodness. I, uh, I got to be honest with you. I, I, am, uh, I, I love my wife and it is a miracle that she married me. You don't have to say it, man. Everybody knows it. You don't have to say it. <laughs> oh, we, we, uh, we started dating in, in high school, okay? And I knew her since middle school. We started dating in high school, and we dated for about four and a half years. It, it was a, a wonderful time. She asked me the other day, or uh, uh, maybe a little while ago, when did I know uh, that, that she was the one for me? And I promise you, it was before she knew that I was the one for her. <laughs> I was, I was just so in love with her and I wanted things to be perfect for us. And we ended up going to the same university, Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas. We moved out there. We had, um, we dated out there. Things get a little weird whenever you go, when you're dating on an Assemblies of God campus. I was just going to say that because it's like, um, there's a rule that you have to give side hugs and so, and, and so you, like whenever you're seeing your girlfriend or something, it's like, hey, nice to see you. And then somebody would n always walk by and say, leave room for Jesus. You know, and it, all, it, it added a layer of awkwardness in that moment. They even had this thing called the, the prayer walk. Okay, right outside in their uh, in front of their administration building, there was a a, a huge uh, walkway, and, and it was just a little under uh, a quarter mile around this beautiful grassy park area, and um, and it was a it was a great place to walk around and pray. But really, what the thing was is that there was a legend at Southwestern Simmons God University, Sagu, that if you walked that prayer walk with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, three times around, then you would get engaged. That's right. And I must have walked that thing around like a hundred times with her. That was wonderful. I was confident. But you know, after we walked three or four hundred times around that prayer walk, she started getting a little suspicious because she, she knew the legend too. And, and, and so as we would go out on dates, she would get really ready because she thought maybe this is the time that he's going to propose to me. And I had no clue. I was just like, hey, what's going on? I'd show up in my sweats and she'd like look really nice. And, you know, her friends would, you know, like they would like, like when she came back in, hey, did it happen? Oh, okay. Well, sorry. You know, and I, I started getting the hint and getting the clue. I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm starting to really mess up. And so I had a lot of pressure on me, okay? I wanted things to be really great. I wanted things to be perfect, but I also wanted to propose to her whenever we were around family, okay? So that meant that we needed to be on, on uh, Christmas break. So we, we came up on Christmas break. Our, both of our families lived in the same town. And, and I had this beautiful plan to propose during Christmas. 
Okay, the plan was simply this. I would show up to her parents' house, I'd bring flowers, I would uh, drive her down to Bricktown, we'd eat at her favorite restaurant, then we'd take a horse and carriage ride over to the Myriad Gardens where we could walk around and look at the light display, and then I would find our favorite spot in the Myriad Gardens, I'd put, get down on one knee, and I would propose, and, she, I, 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 and I had this whole speech memorized, you are the love of my life, you are so beautiful, everything about you is wonderful, all of this stuff, and she would say yes and cry, and then everything would be great. There's an issue, though, because when I showed up to pick her up, and we started going down to Bricktown, uh, things were pretty cold, and, and the 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 weather that was supposed to miss us to our south started hitting us straight on. And it was cold enough not to, not to snow and ice. It was cold enough for it to be water. But once it hit you, like immediately when it hit you, it just turned to ice. <clears throat> so we went down into the into Bricktown area and we got to the restaurant. We pulled up and all the lights were off. And I said, what's going on? I, I, we walked up to the door and the staff greeted us at the door and they said, I'm sorry, the power is out. Like, you can't eat, you can't eat tonight. I'm sorry. And so I said, okay, well, the other half of the block was still in. So we, we didn't go to her favorite restaurant. No big deal, it's okay, it's okay. We went to another restaurant down there. Not as good, not hardly as good. But we came out and then they put the, horses up because it started getting really frozen outside. Okay, no, no big deal. We'll just hop in the car and, and we'll drive over to the Bricktown Garden. It started raining harder. Okay. And by this time, I am determined to make something happen. Make it right. We pull into the Myriad Garden. I look over at her. I was like, we got to do this. We got to do it now. So I grabbed her by the hand. We ran over to our spot. We found a little bit of cover. I was so cold and we were so frozen. I had to like wipe ice crystals out of my eyelashes. I got down on one knee. I started to give the speech. And I was like, all I could get out was, look, I love you and I'm really cold, but will you marry me? To which she said, yes, she gave me a kiss, and then we ran back to the car, and we got in, and we turned the heat up, and we drove back to the house so that we could tell our, our parents. We were so excited, and, but I've got to be honest with you, that was probably the least romantic date I've ever been on. I was so concerned about the performance, I was so concerned about making it perfect, that in the moment, it was hard to remember about the presence of who I was with. Now I look back on it and I don't, I don't regret anything that happened because I know that the foundation of what happened in that moment is that I get to spend the rest of my life with my friend, my best friend. And she's making this church so much better. <laughs> and I, I've got to be honest with you. When I was thinking about that moment and that event in my life, I, I, I couldn't help but think about our relationship with God sometimes. That we can be so dead set on making our life so perfect. We can be so dead set 
on making everything about us right, that we miss the presence of God in our lives. We prioritize the performance over the presence and we leave the presence of God. And then the, the performance didn't even matter. See, today, as we kick off, get over it. We're going to look back at the presence over performance. I, I want us to discover something, that God loves our, our authentic hearts more than he loves these polished performances. I, I want us to discover that as we place ourselves in the presence of God, he will give us intimacy. He will transform our lives and, and we'll have power when we connect with the Holy Spirit. We'll have power when we connect with the Holy Spirit. See, we can't help but be driven by performance, even when we were kids. You know, when we we're babies, our, well, our, the doctors begin to measure us and, 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 uh, and rate our performance. Well, if you don't believe me, watch this. My son, uh, the, he, he came out and the doctors started measuring him and everything like that. The first few months, he was like less than a 20 percentile height. I know, no surprise. But, but his head circumference was like in the 98th percentile. And I started getting a little concerned about his performance. Don't worry, he's proportional now. <laughs> but the truth is, is that then we, we start telling our kids, okay, if you, if you eat your chicken nuggets, then we'll give you the dessert. And if, we, if you do good on your grades, then, then, um, then you can uh, uh, go, go out to your friend's house afterwards. And then, and then as we grow up, we start realizing that when we do good and other people see and feel like we're doing good, then we get what we want. And, and it becomes so easy to trans, transfer that mentality over to the relationship that we have with God. That when we do good, when we work really hard, when we make sure that everything on the outside looks right, then God would be happy with us. He'll be pleased with our performance. See, everything becomes about achieving the next goal so that you and I can feel good about ourselves and we can, uh, and, and we can feel like others think that we're good too. But I don't believe that that's what God has for us. God, God wants something new, something different for us. He wants us to pro prioritize presence, his presence in our lives over our performance. If you would open your Bibles with me, or you can follow along in the Bible app to Acts chapter four, Acts chapter four. If you're following along in the Bible app, you can go to events. If you have your location services turned on and you can find Christ's legacy, you can hit Christ's legacy and follow along with all of our notes right there in one place and even keep your own notes. But before we get to Acts chapter four, I want to Go over a little bit of the background information with you. Um, the day of Pentecost came after Jesus ascended into heaven. 120 people were gathered in the upper room. They began to pray and they were seeking the Lord. They were all in one accord. And then in that moment, the Holy Spirit rushed in and baptized each and every one of them with his spirit and with power. And on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. It was the beginning of the church. It was a powerful experience because of the presence of God. And that Peter, 
the one that denied Jesus three times in front of this little servant girl on the day of Pentecost stood before thousands upon thousands of people and preached Christ crucified and resurrected. And watch this. I want somebody to know this morning that something didn't change in Peter. It was someone that changed in Peter. And because of his encounter, his experience with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Peter had a confidence, a boldness to stand and preach. A little while later, Peter and John found themselves walking to the temple to participate in a prayer service. And it was about three o'clock in the afternoon as they came up through a gate called Beautiful. They noticed that there, there was a beggar sitting there calling for donations. And Peter and John immediately looked at them and Peter looked at him and said in Acts chapter three, verse six, I don't have any silver and gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And right there, he reached out his hand, grabbed the beggar by his hand. And as the beggar began to stand up, the Bible tells us that his, his feet, his legs, his ankles began to, began to gain strength. And he could stand and he could walk and he began to jump up and praise God. And it, it's, it started quite a commotion because evidently this beggar had been doing this for 40 years. For 40 years, he couldn't walk. All he could do was ask for money. And in a moment... In a moment, he was healed, and all he could do was praise God. He came into the temple with Peter and John, and, and everybody saw him. Everybody recognized who he was. And Peter and John began to preach Christ crucified, resurrected, and that we have to repent of our sins and, and turn our hearts and lives towards Jesus, and then we could be right with God. What a powerful scene. I think that in that moment, uh, we, we could have had the biggest revival ever. But something happened. Sadducees in the temple, these were part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 uh, priests, rabbis. And the Sadducees were the smaller sect uh, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the ruling class. But the Sadducees were their elite people of the Sanhedrin, okay? And these Sadducees heard what was going on, that Peter and John were preaching the resurrection of the dead. And they had a problem with this because, see, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, the way that I've learned to memorize who believes what and how they believe and everything, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. See, they believed that everything that they experienced in life was either a blessing or a curse from God, and that was it. That's all they would know, so their focus was in this life on what they could do or what they could say or maintaining their right uh, rituals or making sure that the social class stayed in line and stayed engaged. And they exercised the power over their people because they were very educated. 
And I got to be honest with you, whenever they saw all of this, they turned to the priests, they turned to the temple guard and they called for them. They went to approach Peter and John and they, they could not continue to let them preach because they felt their power beginning to slip, their influence over the people begin to slip. And so they had them arrested and jailed overnight. And then they, once they, uh, in the morning, uh, uh, they had spent the night, they brought Peter and John in front of them. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter four, verse seven through 12. They brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power or in whose name have you done all this? Then Peter, watch this, filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Stop right there. Do you hear a little bit of sarcasm? Uh, it, just because we did a miracle, just because somebody had something good happen in their lives, you're going to question us? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man you crucified by whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scripture where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Come on, somebody say amen to that. They were preaching Jesus, him crucified and risen. And that when we repent of our sins, we can be right with him. By this time, it wasn't just 3,000 were saved, but 5,000 were saved and more and more were being added to that number every day because of a miracle that they saw. And they couldn't argue with it. But let's first think about who it was that performed this miracle. It was a couple, four years ago, they were fishermen. Four years ago, they were floating out on a boat, throwing a net. And now they're standing in front of 70 of the most powerful people in Israel, engaged in a rhetorical battle. And the most powerful people, the smartest people, the lawyers of the time were at a loss for words. They didn't know what to say. They just saw them, they heard them. And something was happening. Something was different about these men. They shouldn't have been able to speak like that. They shouldn't have been able to have that kind of boldness. They shouldn't have had that kind of confidence. They shouldn't have taken that kind of tone. Yet there is nothing that they could say that they could argue with. Acts chapter 4 verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were what? Ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, but watch this. Watch what it says. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. God, let us be people that are ordinary, but people that have been with Jesus. Let his spirit rule and reign our hearts and our lives. Let him come alive in his presence and everything that we say, do, and how we feel. 
They recognized that they had been with Jesus. The Sadducees were amazed at their boldness since they didn't have any education. They shouldn't have been able to say or do what they were doing, but they did. See, it's clear they, they had been with Jesus, but I, I, want, I want to ask you this morning, what does it mean to be with Jesus? What does it mean to be with Jesus and have his presence affect and change our hearts and our lives? The first thing is that Jesus' presence equals intimacy. Jesus' presence equals intimacy. You see, the Sadducees, they, they understood the Torah. They understood the rules. They helped create the rules. 16 or 6,000, or excuse me, 613, there it is, laws that, that people had to follow in order to stay right with God. Yet, no matter how hard they worked, no matter how much they tried, they couldn't stay right with God because nobody could uh, obey each and every law flawlessly. You see, for the first time, people didn't need to obey the law. For the first time, they needed to be confronted with a relationship with Jesus, to repent of their sin and turn to God, and then they could be right with him. See, the problem is that in the absence of real relationship, people begin to feel insecure, and so they make rules, and they try to, 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 try to govern their lives and, and get closer to God. And that's not just the Sanhedrin. It's not just the, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It's you and me. We, we want to be so close to God. We want to be right. But the harder we try and the more rules around us that we place, don't do this, don't do that, don't go there, don't say this, the more of a prison that we make for ourselves the more miserable that we become. And the more and more we yearn and long to break out of that jail. And then we do. And we sin and we blow it. And we fail miserably. And you see the same religious, religious leaders that tried to walk around telling the people about how to act and how to behave. Those are the same people that couldn't do it. And Jesus had a, a rebuke for them. Matthew 23, verse 27. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Your performance is great. But you don't know what the presence of God feels like in your life. You think you're obeying all the rules, but you don't have a relationship. So it's worthless. See, we can fall into that same trap. Even as Christians, even here in Christ's legacy, we can get so fixated on making sure that everything's perfect, everything is right. Uh, we go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We, go, we don't even have a Wednesday, Sunday night. I don't know why you're coming Sunday night. And they think you're doing everything right. And then watch this. You get down the road a little ways and you realize 
that's been so long that you've spent, since it's, you've spent in the presence of God, that you don't even know what it feels like anymore. Jesus feels far away, not close, and feels impossible for him to interact in your life, let alone perform the miracle that you need for him to. See, the closer that we get to him, the more we realize how deeply he really loves us. And the more we realize how deeply he really loves us, the more we fall in love with him. And the more we fall in love with him, the less and less we worry about the way that we perform. And the more we worry about, can I see him? Can I know him? Can I experience him? We become God chasers in our life, not performance followers. James chapter four, verse eight, come close to God and God will come close to you. But watch this. There's, there's a startling warning that James gives us. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Has anybody in here ever had that sensation that, that, that you really want to serve God and you want to know him, you want to experience his presence, but yet you have this pull, this drive, this desire to do something else in your life. You can even fool yourself by making it seem like even to yourself that everything is right, but meanwhile, you haven't really connected with God at all. Maybe there's somebody in here this morning that's been praying, even longing to have a deep relationship like the one that you're... That, that, that you've known in the past, but, but the Lord has been convicting your heart because you know you need to be giving something up. You know that he's calling you to let go of something in your life. Maybe it's a habit, an addiction, a relationship. And you're so scared to let it go because you don't want to lose the thing that you love, but you love the Lord as well and you feel pulled and trapped in this cross pull of your lives. But I need to tell somebody something, that if you let go and follow God with everything that you have in your heart and your life, with all of your strength, with all of your love, that he will reward you in your life and you won't look back and you won't regret it and you won't miss anything when you keep following after the Lord. He's got something for you this morning. Number two, presence equals transformation. Peter and John were radically transformed and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit when they came in contact with God in a genuine way. And today, you and I can experience the same transformation. It wasn't just about back then for them, it's for here and now for us. He has something for us. You see, some people look at Christianity as a simple way of just living your life with another bunch of rules. And how come Christianity is so good? I mean, I could just do this over here and live my life by these rules, and it looks like I'd have more fun. It looks like I would enjoy life better if I just did this over here. And so why would I waste my time with all the rules in Christianity? But I need to tell somebody something. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. It's not about, it's a, it's not about not sinning. It's about loving deeply. See, we're born to be free, and we feel this desire for freedom from the very start of our lives. 
We feel a desire to, to, to be free, but, but everything about us has to make rules and, and regulations in our lives and box us in so that there's no way that you and I can know freedom apart from Jesus Christ. He came to save us. He came to free us. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 reminds us that we are completely transformed and experience freedom for the first time when Jesus comes. It says, for the Lord is a spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Not rules, not regulations, not do's and don'ts. Not a way to live where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have been had the, that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The more we know Him, the more we encounter His presence, the more and more you and I look like Him. See, there's some people in this place this morning that have been working on maybe a personal change in your life. You know that you need to change. You have a desire in your life to change. Maybe even your spouse has told you that you better make a change or they're going to make the change for you. That's real life for some people. But there's no way that you've had any traction, you haven't made any gain, you haven't done anything right, you can't do it on your own, and you get frustrated, and you're just about to throw your hands up and say, forget it. I don't want to do it anymore. I can't live like this. But I want to tell somebody that, that when we align our hearts and our minds on Jesus through prayer and meditating on his word, we can't help but come in contact with his spirit. We can't help but come in contact with his presence. And when we do, we don't have to be worried about change because change is automatic. It comes. And when we give our hearts and lives over to him, he begins to make us who he has created us to be. And we will experience freedom for the very first time in our lives. It kind of reminds me of a, of a person that has grown up in a prison all of their lives and the very first moment that they walk out of that, that prison yard into, into freedom, the kind of experience, the kind of, the kind of reality that they face is overwhelming to them. Christ's legacy, God has a freedom for you if you just give yourself over to him. And finally, presence equals power. We need to understand that Peter and John were influential, not just because they were bold for Christ, but they were influential because you couldn't argue the fact that somebody had been radically healed right in front of their eyes. Right in front of their eyes. Acts chapter 4, verse 16 through 22 says, What? This is the Sanhedrin speaking, the Sadducees speaking. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. How far do you think they got with that? 
But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. We can't stop telling about God's presence. I can't stop giving, him, giving somebody my testimony. I can't stop telling somebody about my church that God does stuff in. Why? God doesn't want me to obey that. He wants me to obey him. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let him go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for the miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Christ's legacy, God has a desire for this church. He has a desire for us that we know his presence so well that we are baptized in his spirit, that miraculous signs and wonders actually take place here and today. Christ's legacy, God has called you to be people that know his presence and know his spirit so well that miraculous signs are a normative part of your life that you experience healing, that you experience God in a powerful way. When you give your life over to Christ, you can be filled with his spirit. And when you're filled with his spirit, God gives you certain spiritual gifts. But when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is a normative experience in the New Testament, then you and I receive not only not only natural gifts, but supernatural gifts. So Christ's legacy, don't be afraid of operating in the spirit. Don't be afraid of laying your hands on somebody and praying that they would be healed and having a radical kind of faith that believes that Jesus can actually perform a miracle because of the power of his spirit working through you. God desires for each one of us, not just to walk around boldly, but to walk around empowered. Maybe you're here this morning and you so desire to experience the presence of God in a radical and new way. But if you're gonna be honest with yourself, you're a little bit scared. You're scared of how it would affect you, how it would change you how it would reprioritize the priorities of your life to be intimate with the Lord, to walk with him daily, to, to experience the transformational power you have to be willing to change, to experience the power of God. You have to be willing to submit yourself to the presence of God. And quite honestly, that can be scary when we're living in a reality where we're pulled towards the world and pulled towards God. But this morning, I pray that each one of us would have a, a burning desire to know what it's like to stand in the presence of the Lord this morning. So this morning, all over this place, would you stand in his presence with me? 
all over. Holy Spirit, you are so worthy. And Lord, we are so unworthy because Lord, there's not one thing that, that we can do in order to be made worthy for you. Not one word we can say, not one thought we can think, not one act we can perform to make us worthy, except for calling out on your name, Jesus. Lord, let us call out to you. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor John, I want to know him. I want to commit myself to him. I want you to know that this is your time. The Holy Spirit is in this place and he's drawing you. He, he's pulling you into his presence. Sir, ma'am, that, that tug that you feel on your heart right now is the Holy Spirit drawing you to him. If you just simply repent of everything you've done, everything that you've done wrong, Turn your back on the old things in your life and follow after him with all that you have. When you do this, that, then, then you can be right with him. If you're, if you're in this place right now and you want to make that commitment, would you just simply raise your hand? I'm looking all around. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Thank you. So many people. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you, Lord, for those that have raised their hands this morning. Lord, we believe, Lord, in this moment, as they've committed their hearts and their lives towards you, Lord, that in, in this moment you come in and you wipe the slate clean. Lord, their names are recorded in your book. And Lord, their future has been diverted to a heavenly home. And we thank you for it. Hallelujah. Let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's doing in people's hearts and lives. Today, I want to ask you a question, each and every one of you in this place. What's holding you back from knowing Jesus more and more? What's holding you back from his presence? Is there something in your life that is pulling you back as you want to step forward? Can I tell you that you don't have to be afraid to leave that thing? Because anything that you leave, God will replace. But what you leave you leave the guilt and the shame with it. And whatever God gives you, no guilt and no shame come. When you experience his presence in the reality of who he is, God will fill every void in your life if you just let him and if you just trust him. So this morning, would each and every person in here that desires to have a full relationship with the Lord, would you just step forward in faith 
take a literal step towards these altars. We'll conclude in the altar. Take a literal step towards these altars as a spiritual, symbolic message to the Lord that you're ready to draw close to Him. Would you come right now? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it might seem weird to some in this place to meet down in these altars, but the altar is where, the, where we are altered, where we experience the power of God and His presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. One of the most amazing things is that we are not called to experience His presence by ourselves, but we're called to experience His presence together as a church, as a family. I wanna ask you a question. What would happen if each and every person in this room desired to experience His presence in a deeper way? What would happen if, if you chased after God with everything that you had? How would your heart change? How would your family change? How would our church change? How would our world change? Would you put your hand on somebody's shoulder right now? We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to move in us and through us so that we can experience His intimacy, His transformation, and His power. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We praise You, Lord, for Your life and Your love. Lord, in these moments, Lord, I pray, God, that You would put a burning desire for us to know You in a better way, Lord, that we could find a way to reprioritize your presence over our performances, that we would chase after who you are, Lord, that we would want to know you more and more and fall deeper and deeper in love with you so that in our life, Lord, we could be transformed and changed into the likeness of who you are. And Lord, because of that change that takes place in our life, Lord, that we would move and work inside of your spirit and, and your power. And that this church and that these people and these families would know what it means to be the presence of God. Let us be a church, Lord Jesus, where they see us and they say they've been with Jesus. Lord, let us be a church that finds you, that gives hope, and does life together. We ask that you would bless each and every one of us today. In Christ's name, amen and amen.